mixed media music. All right, welcome to mixed media music. Uh, today we will be talking about a little bit about form and narrative in Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony. Okay, so this is kind of I got two reasons for for talking about this. Um, first, not related to the other reason, but is I'm I'm considering uh, th this topic something I I I'd probably be you know using as as a final paper topic for one of my classes. So I'm kind of airing my ideas out here. If anyone's listening to this, I'm sure you know y you can steal my idea if you want. I I've never seen this actually said. So maybe someone has pointed made made this claim somewhere, but I'm not aware of it. Um, so I'm going to make it actually I'm actually going to make it a, a a claim here about about this piece. Um, that I've never seen. Also, uh, if you watched the show a couple of weeks ago, on one of the uh, you know arguing with Reddit segments, um, somebody uh, I think one one of one of my co-hosts here uh, gave me a uh, hot take from Reddit about Tchaikovsky and in, in sonata form, and I responded to it a little bit there, but I I feel like I, I want to do that a little bit more justice um because it's kind of an interesting topic so i'm going to start with that uh so if we go back to this uh this uh hot take from reddit apparently somebody had edited the wikipedia page for uh tchaikovsky and to the first sentence uh on his on the section on symphony says that they edited it to say tchaikovsky struggled with sonata form the primary Western principle for building large-scale musical structures since the middle of the 19th century. Um, and it's been changed back. And, okay, so I responded to it there. And you can, if you want to go, you know, after this and hear my, like, off-the-cuff thoughts on that, you can hear that. I'm going to expand on that. Um, interestingly enough, too, there are a lot of um, a lot of people who commented on that post on, on Reddit. So basically, yeah, you probably shouldn't, the stupid thing to write, but it's also true. Okay, and I disagreed with that. So I want to explain a little bit first off. I want to explain a little bit more in depth what sonata form is, um, and then we're going to apply it a little bit to this piece. And I know it's a little bit hard because you know copyright laws. I can't really play this piece. Okay, so when I'm done. You know, after after this, if you're watching some posts, whenever you whenever you're watching this, go and listen to the symphony. Um, I'm I'll I'll drop a link, and you know what? I can even afterwards. I'll even give Irving time stamps for like you know in in the recording what I'm talking about. Um, because if you don't know the piece off the top of your head, you know descriptions of music aren't necessarily that great. Okay, so let's look at this. I'm going to argue. Actually, I didn't. I didn't argue about this at, at the time, but I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to take issue even further back, right, with this sentence, right. So Tchaikovsky struggled with sonata form. The primary. We're going to even ignore a second. We're going to ignore him struggling with it. And it says the primary Western principle for building large-scale musical structures since the middle of the 19th century. Well, we can historically, and that's an easy historical claim to, to you know, brush aside because sonata form develops in the end of the 18th century, okay? So 
I don't know where we're getting middle of the, the 19th century unless this person doesn't understand how century, centuries work. By the middle of the 19th century, sonatiform is pretty entrenched in academic writing. Okay, so Beethoven, if you think of Beethoven as, you know, taking the classical forms, including sonata form, which is kind of like the king of forms, and Beethoven bringing it to like, you know, perfection in some ways, and like, you know, the ultimate grand statement in such an enormous scale by the time he gets to his ninth symphony, you know, that's kind of like the culmination of sonata form, right? Well, that's what, 1821? Okay, so again, this claim... That makes no sense. And what happens after Beethoven is that there's, you know, the composers who are a little bit younger than him, they try to, especially in Germany, they're trying to imitate, you know, his his form, right? Um, and like what Beethoven did with his symphonies, you know, we get people like um, Mendelssohn and Schubert and Schumann, okay? But then there's kind of a period where the symphony as a form, as a genre, I should say, and, and to some extent, sonata form as a form kind of falls out of fashion. Um, and it, we get really programmatic music, right? It's not following a specific formal structure like sonata form. Um, and then eventually, with people like Brahms and Tchaikovsky, you know, we start getting later after the middle of after the middle of the 19th century, we start getting a resurgence in this. In, in symphonies and in sonata form as, as not just an academic exercise. It had been, remained a really important academic tool, right? When you're teaching people how to compose, they would have you write in sonata form. Okay, so that's not even true. So now, what is sonata form? Is it really the principle, primary principle for building large-scale musical structures? I, I, I'm not sure that's how you want to define it. So what sonata form is, First off, you know, if you're not familiar with music having form, that just means like the structure, like what, what ideas are placed where, and like is there, is there a logic to that? So sonata form, as I, as I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, essentially what we have in, in, a, in a rigidly classical uh, sonata form, we have a primary theme, okay? And that's in our home key, whatever the home key is. We have a secondary theme, okay? And the second theme is not in the same key as the, the main, the primary theme, or, you know, okay, call it primary and secondary, or first and second, whatever. They're not in the same key. And there are rules about what key, like rigidly classical sonata form, what the, what key the uh, the second theme can be in in relation to the first key, but that's not really important. In a truly rigidly sonata, after we get we have theme one in in our home key, theme two in a different key. In a truly rigid sonata form, when we repeat it, we go back. You know, theme one in our original key, li like a literal repeat. The exact same notes are played. Okay, so theme one in our home key, theme two in a different key. That's called the exposition. We're exposing our ideas okay then we have a development section in which well that's kind of the question development can sort of do whatever you want um and it, it you know it can be a kind of a dialectical thing where we're like theme one and theme two are kind of battling each other which beethoven does in a lot of his middle symphonies it can be exploring 
different keys, which would be, you know, what happened with like more in, in Mozart and Haydn, um, mostly, mostly focusing on the, the primary theme, the first theme in, in different keys, or it can be about like organic development of, of these ideas, whatever that is, the rest of the development. And then we get something called the recapitulation in which we have theme one again in our home key and then theme two, but now theme two is in our home key. And yeah, we have like resolved this harmonic tension. Everything is in our home key. And then we have, then we end. Okay. So that is what sonata form in a very rigid definition is. Okay. What, but if you study sonata form and form in general, what you discover is that very few things are actually written that in such a rigid manner. There are things that are, but very few things, even in, in the classical era, are that rigid. So by the time we get to people who are kind of bringing back the symphony as a artistic instead of an academic genre, like Brahms um, and Tchaikovsky, you know, a few years later, um, by the time we get to them, sonata form is old, okay? And it's not strictly necessary, right? It's no longer like people like Wagner and Liszt, they had broken the hold of this thing. You don't need to use sonata form. Um, but if you are going to use it in the first movement of your symphony, you normally use it in the first and sometimes the last movement of a, of a symphony um, or other big work. So if you're going to use sonata form, there's no reason that you have to be incredibly rigid about it because Beethoven wasn't rigid about it. Haydn wasn't rigid with it. Mozart wasn't rigid with it. So some things that we're what we're getting, uh, you know, as we move into the, this late Romantic era, we get instant development of ideas. We may have theme one, and before we move on to theme two, they're going to have other themes that are other ideas that are important, but it just maybe aren't like the main theme. Or we're going to get theme one, and then theme one is already being like developed in some way. It's going to be very different instrumentation, fragmented, whatever. Um, that is very common in Brahms, whom we think of as, you know, this kind of staunch, conservative, backwards-looking classicist. Uh, no, not really. We get things like veiling of where these sections, like the, the, um, ex the development and recapitulation start. It's not evident in, in a Brahms symphony a lot of times. You have to, like, listen and keep, like, going back, like, wait, is that actually the recapitulation? Um, we have more, you know, different kinds of development. It seems to it's less of a becomes less of a dialectical process of like two themes kind of you know which can be like louder than the other one, and more about like exploring areas based on these themes. And essentially, and this is not my term, um, but some theorists like to talk about what, what these people are doing, like like Brahms and Tchaikovsky, is gesture of sonata form, which is kind of having the, the general template that I gave you, but not strictly, you know, making it like the keys don't work the way that they, they sh they're supposed to work. You know, things can serve dual functions, all sorts of interesting theme things. But the principle of like idea and another idea as a contrast to each other and they kind of somehow you know, come back in a more reconciled manner, that's sort of still there. Okay, so on to Tchaikovsky's Sixth, sixth Symphony as, as an example of that. So this 
person who had edited the, the page said that Tchaikovsky struggled with sonata form. And I'll put it this way. Tchaikovsky thought that he struggled as a symphonic composer. He, I don't think, and he was pretty much, he was very dissatisfied with a lot of his works, except for his sixth symphony. There are some other pieces he liked too. But uh, when he wrote his sixth symphony, uh, he said, you know, I finally figured out how to write a symphony. He didn't say, I finally figured out how to write sonata forms. He could, in his early symphonies, he could, you know, bang out a pretty rigid sonata, okay, sonata form, as could Brahms. And Brahms is, you know, a reasonable composer to uh, kind of put in the same conversation with Tchaikovsky. They're writing their symphonies around the same time. And Brahms is someone, again, who's looked on as a... Uh, kind of backwards looking guy, you know, kind of be imitating Beethoven. Um, well, I think if you're going to say Tchaikovsky struggled with sonata form, so to speak, I think you have to say that Brahms did too, because he, again, he didn't, did he choose to write in truly rigid sonata forms? Uh, not very often, no. I mean, there are some examples. Again, there are examples of that in Tchaikovsky's music. Okay, so his Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony, it's often called the, you know, given the nickname uh, path pathetic, which does not mean pathetic. It is from, you know, Russian patheticheskaya symphonia, um, which goes back to the, uh, you know, the um, same, it's, it's the Latin root, uh, you know, uh, passus, or suffering, right? Um, passion, okay. So it, it's passionate and suffering, not, not pathetic. Um, also called this, not just because that's the mood uh, of the symphony overall, but because it literally begins with the bassoon playing at the beginning of Beethoven's eighth, I believe it's the eighth, uh, piano sonata, the pathetique, same same meaning, uh, the pathetique sonata. Okay, so we get that right off the bat. And so this symphony, you know, it, it is it kind of has a mythic status because Tchaikovsky died, so he conducts the premiere of it, and then died two weeks later. And not only is it kind of a really hyper-emotional symphony, but it ends in a very un unconventional way. It does not, most symphonies that start in a kind of a, a somber, brooding minor key end, or works in general, they end in the same key, but, you know, in a major, major mode, right, with some, like, kind of going back to Beethoven, right? This like idea of, you know, wrestling with, with something negative and emerging victorious over it. Um, this symphony does not do that. It ends in a very, very sad, maybe the saddest, saddest part of the entire symphony, the last movement, this kind of all these descending lines and ends, you know, the, the markings that would be, uh, five Ps, right? So as as softly as you can possibly play. Um, it's dying away. Okay, so people, oh, literally almost immediately after he died, two weeks after premiering the symphony, said, wow, this piece is absolutely Tchaikovsky's suicide note. And for many years, you know, this had been the convention, I'm thinking about the symphony, that Tchaikovsky committed suicide afterwards, you know, as... Potentially, people speculated, you know, oh, well, he, he was afraid that people, you know, the, the government was going to find out about his homosexuality and kill him or at very least ruin his reputation kind of thing. Um, 
he almost certainly just died of the cholera outbreak that happened to pass through at that time. That's pretty clear. But the the music kind of has persuaded people of otherwise for many years. Um, so this piece, you know, premiered in uh, 1893, and there are two other relevant pieces of information before, uh, before we quickly look at look at the form. So the year before, Tchaikovsky is writing a tries to write a symphony, um, and he gives it a program or a story. And what he says about it is that um, here, here's the outline of the story of a symphony. He says. Um, the ultimate essence of the symphony is life. Uh, the first part is all impulse, passion, confidence, and thirst for activity. Um, but it must be short. The finale of the first mo movement is death, the result of a collapse. Uh, he says the second movement uh, is love. The third movement is disappointment. And the fourth movement ends dying away and is short. Okay. Now, he... this thing that he's talking about doesn't end up, the music he's writing for, that goes along with this description doesn't actually end up being his sixth sixth symphony. It ends up going to other pieces. Um, but in general, that does kind of trace the general outline of his symphony. Um, further, before he premiered the symphony, uh, he was you know in a really great mood. All of his um, Relatives described him as being like the happiest they'd seen him in many, many years. He was very happy that he finally figured out, in his own words, how to write the symphony. And what he tells uh, his his nephew uh, is that there there is a story behind the symphony, but he's not going to share it with anybody. Again, when that quote comes out, adds to added to the speculation about the symphony being his suicide note. Okay, so we're not going to dwell on whether this is a suicide note or not. I think that's kind of ridiculous. But if we look at the symphony itself, okay, we're going to mostly talk about the first movement, but we have to touch on the other movements very, very, very briefly. Um, so we're going to look at sonata, son, like sonata form and how it functions here. Um, because it's not that unusual for a sonata form with one exception. Okay, so just like the its namesake, um, Beethoven's Pathétique Piano Sonata, which, you know, the quote in that, yeah, that opens up both, you know, that, that piece and the symphony, um, that in the Beethoven piece is kind of non-functional. It's not part of the sonata form. It's just kind of this really passionate um, introduction. It's kind of the same thing in this symphony. But some of the material from it becomes the first theme. So we get that kind of idea. We get the first theme, which has some connection to it. And that's kind of, it, it, it's it's not terribly lyrical. Um, it's kind of really fast moving, kind of dark and, and jittery. When we get to the second theme, okay, and here, this is, this is what's interesting to me. So the second theme, we get this really, really long lyrical melody in the strings. Then we get a section inside of it, okay? So we have like this melody, and the melody will come back. Before the second theme melody comes back, inside of there we have this uh, really interesting moment for all the woodwinds, solo woodwinds. They're all just kind of running up scales in a sort of melodic fashion, okay? So we have, again, our second theme era we have like the second theme melody this 
interesting inner, you know, kind of intimate woodwind line, ascending, descending line thing. And then we go, the entire orchestra is going to play the second theme melody um, very emphatically. Okay. And that's, you know, again, nothing too terribly unusual, I would say, um, that we have these two ideas, although, you know, sandwiching them maybe is a little bit strange. Um, but but nothing too out of the ordinary. But so as this second theme kind of dies away, um, we get this very, very violent section, which is our, our development, okay? And I, really, violence is the only only word I can come up with to describe it. You know, the end of the second theme ended as quietly as possible with just the um, bassoon playing one note as, again, the instruction as quietly as you can possibly play. When something gets massive, you know, like chord in the orchestra. Very startling, startling. And again, it's kind of violent music for, for the development. And then at the kind of, uh, we, we go back, we get our, our first theme again. Then we get, we build up to another climax before we reach the second theme. And at, at this big climax, the brass starts playing uh, a quotation from the um, Russian Orthodox fu uh, funeral, funeral liturgy. So again, also adding to speculation for people for many for you know even today that again this is his suicide note again disregarding that. Uh, then we get the second theme. Um, the orchestration is very different. It's not this full you know multi octave really rich scoring of the second theme, but we get the second theme. What we're missing though is that we get the second theme. And then we get the second theme with a little bit fuller sound, but not as full as before. We're missing this inner part where these woodwinds are doing this kind of, you know, these intimate little, this intimate moment these woodwinds are doing these runs. Okay. And that's sort of interesting because it's not formally, it's not a part, a necessary part of the form. But why would you, but it seems like it is equally important, right? And I'm not the first, that's not not like people have remarked on that you know that's nothing too novel the one writer I, I i really like kind of refers to it though in an interesting way but i think it's kind of backwards you'd think that this like the second theme area is kind of like an if you think of it like an egg like we have this you know this shell and then this really tender thing on the inside then we get the violence of the development and you think if a violence is going to do any harm in any way to this really beautiful second theme. It's going to smash the outside of the egg, but maybe some, you know, this really delicate core inside will remain. But it's the opposite. The The outside is what remains. The inside is gone. Um, and you know, other writers have said, well, that's interesting because this is Tchaikovsky not being too sentimental. Um, you know, he, he has something really beautiful, but it's gone and he doesn't try and regain it. My contention, though, is that that is not true. So I think... The way I've I've been looking at this piece uh, recently um, is that what happens to to this really tender kind of ascending and then gently descending line um, that that doesn't come back. Uh, and to me, I think that this is where you know this this narrative, whether it's like you know the secret narrative that Tchaikovsky talked about, or kind of related to the narrative he gave for the piece, is kind of loosely became this piece to me you know that's this is where the story is whatever whatever this like 
inner part is that doesn't come back is something really important. And there's some violence, something catastrophic that, that you know, happens musically. It's not recovered. But I don't think that, that it, Tchaikovsky, Tchaikovsky just lets it go. To me, when I listen to the beginning of the second movement, the main theme of the second movement, which is kind of his broken waltz, instead of being in 3-4, um, like two bars in 3-4, it's a 3 plus 2. So it's in 5-4. So it's kind of like a waltz, but it's awkward. It's missing part of it. You can't fully do your waltz dance. The melody is in this second movement is not exactly the same as the melody for this you know, intersection of the second uh, theme of the first movement. It is not exactly the same. But to me, the contour is very similar. We got this kind of longer ascension and then slightly going down. Okay. It's not exactly the same, you know, profile, but it's very pretty much the same. It doesn't go like exactly the same, like way up and way down. But to me, I think that it's, it's the gesture. It's the same gesture. And to me, uh, the way I look at it, I think it's, it's this gesture is still there. Um, and just, it, it, it's, it, it can't, you know, live in the same way that, that it did uh, when it was first presented in the first movement. It is kind of, he's trying to regain it in this kind of stilted waltz. And we can look even more carefully if you if you want to, this, this second section of, the, of this 5-4 broken waltz is also kind of related to the um, th this inner section of the second theme of the first movement. And in some ways, I, I think the last movement, our main theme, you know, this descending line, is to me, I think, just in an in, in inversion of, of this idea. The idea has now been so thoroughly defeated and broken, and then it's just going to sink down in the opposite way. Instead of going up and then gently falling down, it's just going to be, it's just going down. You know, you can feel free if, it, you know, if you know the piece or not, you can, you can go listen to it too. You can feel free to completely disagree with that, um, that analysis. Uh, but at least to me, you know, even if these things aren't literal, I think the gestures are there. And I think that's where the story of this piece is. So, you know, it's kind of tied into this sonata idea, right, where, this, where we're not getting the, this, this, this intersection coming back. It doesn't resolve. Um, and to me, it does, it does continue you know, in, in broken fashion, and then so thoroughly broken that it reverses itself at the end of the symphony. So again, you know, that's that's my that's my feeling about it. Personally, feel completely different. You think, you think I'm absolutely crazy uh, that I'm I'm just making something up there about how the the melody continues throughout the symphony, but I think that that you know gives us some some sense of, of like what this this story is it's not a, you know i can't put words to it what what story tchaikovsky had in his mind with his symphony um like he claimed to have but i do think that that, that to me that's where something about about this piece lives so yeah that's a little bit more you know detail on sonata form whether tchaikovsky could write a proper sonata i think this pretty much fills at least the gesture of it, right, of sonata form, and also, you know, I'm putting putting my idea about about this uh, this symphony, putting it out there for the first time. So, yeah. Well, you see, uh, 
you uh so you write a comment on, on reddit uh get a reaction and then we get a whole episode <laughs> in response <laughs> so that, that's pretty cool awesome i assume we'll hear more about tchaikovsky in the future so uh definitely subscribe oh yeah he's always an important composer so i don't know i think he can write sonata form so that's 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 my that's my really broad conclusion yeah for sure look tell a man no trouble i don't want beef man i just want vibes big man like me no need for the telephone hype i got too much getting online one rule then dead i'm on site wrong move i bet they gonna ride no need for the telephone hype nah no need for the snoozing big whip outside i'm cruising big stick inside no losing better watch out for the snake and judas's don't ask them who this is i bet they know what i'm moving in i bet i show it into a damn how you hate and then lose again how you hating my vibes? Why you wasting my time? Getting hype on my line. Tell a man I don't want feedback. I just want relax. Brand new whip, two tone. I need that brand new hit. You know, like lean back, brand new bits. I live in we back, man. You never gonna like us. Get them on sight now. Let them all light that way. They know I'm all righteous. Look at my life. I'm living all right. I'm nice. You know I'm all right. Cause looking like Christ. No need for the hype or fight or telephone vipers. No need for the telephone vipers.